All right. Hey, we are, uh, we're in a series, and uh, we're finishing up a marriage talk today. We've been doing three weeks. But before we do that, uh, we went to the game last night, too. And a, sort of an amusing thing happened because Julie does not, not huge baseball fan. And so uh, every time batter would come up, they would put his picture up on the screen and also his statistics. And so we would look at the screen, and we were actually, I learned, looking at different things because I would look at the statistics, and several times I said to Julie, oh, this is great, this guy's hot. And she'd look at me sort of like, and after I said that about three times, I realized she was looking at the picture and thought I was looking at the picture. (laughs) And finally she turned to me and she says, I do not think that word means what you think it means. So anyway, we had a great time, and it really, it was a lot of fun. Okay, if you have your Bibles, we are not going into Ephesians. We are going into 1 Peter chapter 5. So go ahead, and you can start making your way. It's near the end of the New Testament. If you're uh, not sure where that is, just keep looking. You'll find it. And um, as we do that, let me just tell you a couple things. Because this is our last week, uh, what we've done is we're going through the book of Ephesians in a series called ID, and Ephesians has a long section on marriage, uh, relatively long anyway, and we wanted to slow down and make sure that we didn't miss some of the lessons that come out on marriage, because obviously that's such an important topic. Uh, So let me just give you a couple of resources uh, after this series, because here's, here's the deal. Our church won't talk about marriage now again for a bit. And if you're in a marriage and you're thinking, you know, this is good, this is helpful, but we need more, uh, don't let this opportunity pass you by. In other words, don't say, oh, well, we'll just get to it. Uh, That's not the way things generally work. You need to be a little more aggressive on that. So one thing, let me tell you about a series that I listened to by a guy named Andy Stanley called I Marriage. Andy Stanley, just write down his name. You can find it online. But a lot of the material that I'm giving is borrowed from his series. It was so helpful to Julie and me that I, you know, I, I use it now. So anyway, that, that is a really helpful thing. Also, uh, there is a marriage conference that Mariners is putting on called Crazy Good Marriage. And it's in September, and it is for couples. It's up at our camp at Tokwitz. And uh, I know that that's filling up. But if you want to go, uh, please write that down, sign up, go online. It, is, it will be very, very helpful. In fact, the guy who's speaking next week here, Jeff Preeze, is leading that uh, conference. And so I'd really, really encourage you to do that. And finally, let me just say this. If you're struggling in your marriage, there is no shame in getting counseling. There is no shame in that. And uh, I think guys, particularly we, sort of think, you know, I should be able to power through this. We can figure this out. We don't need help. But the reality is that's a fool's game. And generally, things get worse and worse and worse. And again, no shame. In fact, it's very wise to sit down with someone that can just help you guys navigate through some issues uh, to, to you know, start moving forward. So if you're interested in that, sign up on your connection card. Just say, hey, listen, we need some marriage counseling. We need a next step. And what we'll do is we'd be glad to meet with you and help you get to the place. Mariners has resources help you get to the place where you're, you're being helped. Okay? Is that all good? Good on the introductory remarks? All right. Now, as I said, we are coming in at the end of a series, and some of you are just showing up, so you're kind of like at the end of a movie. So let me just catch everybody up to where we're at, and then we'll plug on from there. Uh, when we get married, 
Uh, what we've talked about is that all of us come into marriage with hopes, dreams, and desires. It's the reason we get married. Nothing wrong with that. We have things we're hoping will happen in our marriage, desires we want to have fulfilled. And so uh, we, we've talked about, you know, different people have different ones, but some of you may have, you know, sort of the dream of your dream house. You know, you're hoping that you're going to have this beautiful pink roofed house. And, uh, and then, you know, some of you just think it's going to be so great. We're going to be able to spend so much time together because it's been hard up to this point and we have different lives or we live in different places and now we can spend a lot of time together. Or you may be thinking, you know, uh, women, I love my dad so much and my husband's going to be just like my dad. Mr. Fix-It Man, handy guy, you know, just thought, called me princess and, you know, he sort of had these expectations. And some of you guys, it's a little weird, but, you know, it's sort of like she's going to be just like mom. Uh, if you need the counseling, if that's what you're thinking, uh, you know, or you're thinking, you know what, we're going to have so much fun together. We are just going to have a ball. We're like best friends and, you know, we're just going to have a great, great time. Uh, we're going to have kids and it's going to be so great. You know, we're going to have, you know, 12 kids or we're going to have no kids or we're going to have kids in 20 years or we're, you know, we're going to get pregnant on the wedding night, we hope. And so there's all that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, there's sort of this difference of opinion usually on what the woman wears to bed. And so, guys, you're, you're like praying and hoping that it won't look like this. And you're, you know, your spouse-to-be is just saying, no, no, you know, he'll only want me to be comfortable. He won't care what I wear. And he'll say, I will care that you wear nothing, you know, whatever the thing is. Okay, so we come in with these hopes, dreams, and desires. And a very interesting thing happens. It might happen on the way back outside of the church. It might happen on the honeymoon. It might happen some weeks down the maybe sudden. It may be a long sort of time coming. But eventually what happens is these things that were really great hopes, dreams, and desires, what they start to become is expectations. And here's what we talk about in the danger. You may say, well, what's the big difference? Here's the big difference. When something becomes an expectation, all of a sudden it's not like, I hope this happens. I'll be so grateful if this happens. You know, I'm dreaming of this. Now it becomes, it better happen. I expect it to happen. And what we talked about is it's very easy to move into this debt-debtor relationship. You owe me. You owe me. If I do my part, I expect you to do your part. And we enter into marriage almost like a contract. Like it's I do my 50% and you do your 50% and together we equal 100% of a good marriage. But what we've talked about is that's a sucker's game. And it never leads to a good marriage. First off, nobody ever totally does their part. We just can't do it. And so what that means is that you're going to get into this situation where your spouse is looking at you or you're looking at your spouse and saying, you're not coming through for me. You're not doing. And even if we do on occasion come through, it's not gratitude that we experience. It's more of just expectation. You should be doing that. And what we start to see in a marriage is a downward spiral where we keep on thinking, I am putting so much into this, and my spouse is not doing his or her part. And many of us live in marriages like that. It may be full-blown. You may be sitting here thinking this is our last chance because it's so bad. Or it may be in various places, but that's a dynamic that God never intended. So last week what we talked about is God's intention for marriage isn't that we put our own box first, but that we put our spouse's box first. And we used a word called submission, and it comes out of Ephesians, the most hated, probably, verse in the whole New Testament, 
wives submit to your husbands, but we talked about that that really is a statement about mutual submission, that both husbands and wives are to put the, the stuff, the hopes, dreams, and desires of their spouse before theirs, and when that happens, an amazing thing takes place because Jesus actually looks at that and says, if you want to love me, then I want you to love your spouse. That's the way you worship me. That's the way you love me. That's the way you honor me is by putting your spouse first. And we see, too, that we start to become like Jesus when we do it, which is an ultimate goal that Jesus has for us, is that we'll actually become like Jesus. And when we practice putting our spouse first, we start to become like Jesus. And then the most mysterious, wonderful thing of all about it is that Jesus says, when you attempt to do this, even if you're imperfect, you will become my hands and my mouth and my arms and my feet to your spouse. You will become Jesus to your spouse when you love and put her or his box first. So it's a great, great plan. And it's the way that God's designed marriage, to be a covenant and not a contract. But there is a huge question, probably, that comes into your mind when you're thinking, okay, my job is to put my spouse's stuff first. And that's the question we want to address today, because without addressing that question, there's a big void in this whole discussion. So 1 Peter... 1 Peter chapter 5, just so that you know, it's not talking about marriage. And in fact, for those of you that are single and putting up with our marriage series, this is a very practical lesson for you. Um, in 1 Peter 5, it's talking about leaders and people in the church. Okay, so the leadership of a church and the people in the church. And uh, it's in a context of a lot of suffering. The church here that, first, that Peter's writing to is suffering. And so there's a lot of tension. And it turns out that there's a lot of tension, actually, between the leaders and the people in the church. It's sort of implied here by the teaching. But we pick up that there must be some tension or some kind of dynamic going on where the leaders are not maybe treating the church as they should be treating, and the people in the church are thinking the leaders are not doing us right. There's some kind of weird thing going on here. So Peter goes ahead, and he writes these words, and at first you're going to say, how is this relevant to marriage at all? But just hold on, we'll get to that. But let's go ahead and take a look at this. And in uh, 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1, let me... Uh, read this and explain it a little bit as we go through it. It says, to the elders among you, elders is just a word for leaders here, okay? So that's a title for the, the leaders of the church. I appeal as a fellow elder, Paul was an elder too, he was a leader in the church, and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, okay? So then he says this, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, and, and this is sort of the first thing, is it appears that the leaders were sort of reluctant, or maybe they were kind of pushed into it. Uh, this was not like the glory job of the day, uh, being a pastor or a leader of a church, because the church was being persecuted. You could die for doing something like this. So the first thing that Peter's going to say is, you know, I don't want you to have an attitude of reluctance if God's called you to this position. Uh, then uh, he goes on and he says... Um, I want you to do it because you're willing. And then he says, and I don't want you to pursue dishonest gain. And apparently back in that time, there was a problem that sometimes leaders in the church were greedy. 
And it's so great that we've just outgrown that, that that is never a problem in the church anymore. You never see pastors or people being greedy in the church. But apparently back then, that was a problem. And then uh, finally, he says, but I want you to be eager to serve, not lording it over the people that you're leading. In other words, not bossing them around, not dominating them. And again, it's so great to see that we, we never have that problem in the church anymore where leaders are bossy and demanding and it's all about them. But back in this day, back in this day, of course, a lot of sarcasm there. Back in this day, uh, that was a problem. And what was happening is the people in the church were looking and saying, basically, we've got hopes, dreams, and desires for how this church will function and how our leadership will hold uh, the church and how they'll behave toward us. And these things are not being met. These things are not being done. What are we to do with that when our leaders aren't doing the things that the leaders should do? And uh, now you might start to see how this starts to move into marriage because here is the question that all of you have because anyone would have this. All right, I understand from last week, I am to put my spouse's box first. I'm to work very hard and to have this attitude that I'm going to love my spouse just the way Jesus would if Jesus was in my place. That's what I'm going to do. But then the question comes up, okay, so what about my hopes, dreams, and desires? What if my spouse is not meeting those? What if I have a bunch of these things that I'm just really frustrated about, or I'm in pain over, or, you know, I'm just, I'm so disappointed that this this has not worked out at all the way that I was hoping that it would work out. What am I to do with those things? This week, I asked you to uh, try to figure out something that is in the box of hopes, dreams, and desires in your spouse. And if need be, ask if you're not sure, and then to work on that. And so uh, Julie and I did that exercise. But I sort of, I turned it a little bit because I knew we were talking about this. And I said to Julie, I said, um, this may be very difficult for you to answer, but is there any hope, dream, or desire that I have not met for you that you need to sort of rely on Jesus to meet for you? Are there any? And, you know, I fully expected that she'd just scratch her head and say, I can't come up with a darn thing. Uh, and Julie looked at me, and she actually had a different response. She said, would you like those in alphabetical order or chronologically, how they sort of popped in? I'm like, okay, okay, just give me one. And uh, she said, well, you know, one of the things is you and I process emotions so differently. She was very diplomatic, by the way. And she said, you know, I'm a verbal processor, and there's times where I just want to talk something through with you. And so I'm going to start off and sort of throw a problem out or an issue that I've not resolved. And I'm just hoping that you'll listen, or maybe you'll hold my hand, or you'll nod, and you'll be empathetic with me. You know what I'm not looking for, Kevin? You know what she's not looking for. The answer. She's not looking for the solution. Because here's really my thought. If I can solve this, I don't need to feel her pain, which I really don't want to. I'm a wimp when it comes to that. So I just, we'll just cut to the chase. If that bothers you, just don't do it. What else do you want to talk about? And so, uh, and so she said, you know what I've needed to realize over the years is, you know, as much as you might try to help in this area, as much as we might talk about it, I really need to rely on Jesus to help me in this area. I need to sort of lean on him in this area. 
And so it, it's sort of an interesting dynamic. The question is, what are the hopes, dreams, and desires you have that your spouse might not be meeting the way that you'd like to have them meet? Maybe it was for companionship, and you just thought, you know, I just thought that we'd be best friends. I thought that we'd just hang out. I thought that we'd super enjoy doing things together. And that's not turned out at all. In fact, I feel really lonely in my marriage. I thought marriage would end my loneliness. I feel more lonely now than I've ever been. And I don't think my spouse gets it. I just don't think my spouse gets it. Or maybe security was something that you were looking for. And yet you're married to somebody. You know, maybe wives, you're married to a guy that does not handle money well. And with the economy the way it is or the situation as it is, you're just like, oh, my gosh. We are going down the drain. I can't even picture how bad our future is looking because I don't think my spouse has a clue about this. And this is just driving me crazy. I'm so worried about our future. Uh, maybe it is for a certain kind of intimacy, and it's very interesting. Men and women tend to have such a different focus on what intimacy looks like. So a woman will say things like, we just never talk. And guys, when you think about intimacy, you don't think about talking. And you're just like, we just don't do that the way we used to do that, or as much, or whatever. And so there's sort of this really different, different expectation. And very often, both the husband and wife will say, we're not intimate the way we used to be, defining it really differently. There are several different things that can happen. Let me talk to you just very quickly about what you need to avoid, and then we're going to look at what the Bible says we need to do. Here's the first thing, is don't turn them to expectations. We've already talked about it in the series, but don't say you owe me these things. That does not help. Here's the second thing, and this may surprise you. Don't deny them. Don't say, well, I guess if I'm really godly, I just won't care about intimacy in our marriage. I just won't care about us spending time together. I won't care about security issues. I mean, I guess that's all of the world. I shouldn't worry about those things. You know, I'll just... And uh, that's not it either. It is not saying your hopes, dreams, and desires are meaningless or you should not worry about them. In fact, God may very well put those in your heart. So denying them... Here's a sort of a way that we deny them is we might escape. And we just say, well, I'm not getting what I need in my marriage, and so I'm just going to pour myself into my work. Or I'm going to just start getting crazy about exercise. Or I'm just going to zone out when I get home. I'm just going to watch TV. Or I'm going to go online. Or, you know, I'm going to Facebook and try to connect with all the people that I should have married <laughs> before I married my spouse. You know, whatever it is, that is uh, that's such a common thing. When we're not getting what we're hoping out of our marriages, we escape into other things. And, of course, the most dangerous thing we could do then is escape into the arms of another person and say, you know, my spouse has us coming because he or she is not meeting my needs, and what am I to do? Uh, but it just opens, that opens up such a world of pain, and it is never a solution. It never leads to what it promises to lead to. And so those are not the things to do. Okay, so the question is, what are we going to do? And 1 Peter uh, 5 goes on now to talk to the people in the church. Okay, so your leaders are not meeting your needs. If you're married, your spouse is not meeting your needs, not meeting your hopes, dreams, and desires. These things are not happening. What are you to do with that? And uh, Peter goes on and says these words. He says, in the same way 
you who are younger, okay, so he's probably talking even to a section of the church that were the younger people in the church. We're not sure about that, but that's very possible. Submit yourselves to your elders. There's that submit word again. Put the stuff in your elders box ahead of yours. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All right, so Peter is not going to lean in so much to the elders. He's told them what he expects, but now he gives counsel to those who are not having their hopes, dreams, and desires fulfilled. And this, again, can be in any context. It can be in a marriage context. It can be in a parenting context. It can be at a work relationship. It can be within the church. It can be in your family dynamic. There's all kinds of places this happens where people don't meet the hopes, dreams, and desires you have. So how do you handle that? What are you going to do with that? Here is uh, what... Uh, Peter's going to do, and this is such a genius move, and uh, it's weird to say anything in the Bible is like a genius move because it's like all a genius move. But here's, here's something that's so subtle that Peter does that's really good for us. He connects submission with humility. And let me explain what that does. Submission is an activity When you submit, you put somebody else's, in our case, we're going to use this idea. You're going to put somebody's hopes, dreams, and desires ahead of yours. That's going to be to submit. That's the action. What Peter's going to say is, it's not possible to do that action without this attitude, which is humility. This idea of saying, I'm going to actually have an attitude that what is in my spouse's box is more important or needs to be a primary focus beyond what mine are. That is the attitude of humility when you really believe that, when you really grab onto that and say, that's the way I want to live. Julie and I, when we were dating, um, we are both coming out of relationships. I had been in a few relationships before that, dating relationships. And uh, I had learned that I could pretty much treat a woman whatever way I wanted to, and she would sort of hang with me on that. And it made me very lazy and very selfish in my relationships. So I come into this relationship with Julie. I sort of have the same attitude. Uh, to use our terminology, every st- everything in my box was way more important than everything in Julie's box. And so we dated for a while, and uh, things were sort of moving along. I thought things were going just perfectly. And we went for a walk one night, and she said, Kevin, I want to break up with you. And I was like, what? I mean, it was, it was so out of the blue. I mean, I, I didn't say anything for, you know, five minutes as we continued the walk. And I said, well, I, I don't know what to say. I thought things were moving ahead. In fact, I, I, thought, I thought you were possibly the one. She said, yeah, that was making me a little nervous that you thought that. And I just need to really clarify things. We're breaking up. So anyway, we finished the walk. I had my greatest line of history. Julie hates this line, but I mean, I really meant it at the time. As I was leaving, I said, well, I guess I'll see you in heaven. I mean, she was like, that wasn't really what I was looking for, but I didn't think that I'd see her again. I thought it was over. And so as I drove off, I was bummed, and then we ended up, like, we were broken up for 24 hours, you know, one of those things. And then, uh, obviously, we did get back together. But uh, we called, and we talked to each other on the phone, 
and my, my attitude shifted 180 degrees because rather than seeing everything in my box as the most important thing, all of a sudden, I had been humbled. I had been humbled. And now, all of a sudden, I thought, you know, maybe I should look at some of the things that Julie hopes and dreams and desires in this relationship. And there really was, I don't even know if Julie noticed it at first, but I made a huge shift. And my thought was, I'm going to give her the best of what I can give. And if it doesn't work out, which I kind of thought it probably wouldn't, but if it doesn't work out, at least it will be, well, Kevin gave his best. Well, I mean, obviously things sort of moved forward. Eventually Julie asked me to marry her, and that was all a great thing. We sort of got back together. <laughs> That's a true story, but for another day. And, uh, and anyway... Uh, I learned in a very practical way the difference between just submitting, going through the motions, and actually humbling myself. And that is here what Peter is going to say. You need to humble yourself. And in fact, he uses a very interesting word. Uh, When he talks about humility, he says, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. And uh, in that day and age, uh, the word for clothing, clothing yourself, that verb, clothe yourself, which is one word in the Greek, literally means tie an apron around your waist. That's, it's a very specific, definitive way of clothing yourself. In other words, put on your work garb. Put on your apron to work. And you know, here's most commentators think this about what Peter had in mind. Can you think of anyone that put on sort of a towel around them to do some humbling work for the disciples? Jesus did. Remember when he washed their feet on the night before he died? He actually tied a towel around him. He put an apron on. And this is probably what Peter has in mind. I want you to do just what Jesus did. You think you're entitled? You think you're owed? No. I'm telling you now, humble yourself. Put on your work garb. Get down on your knees. Do the things that a humble servant would do in this relationship. That's what I'm calling you to. I want you to humble yourself. You are not entitled. Your spouse does not owe you anything. You owe it to Jesus to love your spouse in a very practical way. And that's, that's how Peter leaves it here. He just says, I want you to clothe yourself with humility. And if you think that's hard, this next statement is killer. This next statement is killer because you're sort of like, okay, how long do I need to do that before I can expect something to come back my way, all right? I don't mind doing that for like an hour, but after an hour, I'm expecting some payback or maybe I'll put up with it for a day or I'm hoping that half a weekend, there's going to be some, you know, reciprocation here. How long do I do this? All right, you're going to hate it because... Here's what Peter does as he answers the question. He says these words. He says, um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. One of the worst phrases in the Bible. In due time. What is due time? I'll tell you what due time is. There's a story about a guy that was talking to God one day. And he said, God, isn't it true that a thousand years are like one day to you? God said, yes, that's true. Well, then it's probably true that like a million dollars is like one dollar to you. Right, God? God said, 
that's, that's true. So then the guy said, can I have one of those dollars? And God said, yeah, I'll give it to you tomorrow. And, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how it works, right? God makes these promises. He just doesn't give us a timeline. That's what's so darn frustrating. If we could just have a timeline. I can put up with getting my spouse's stuff out in front. I just need to know how long I need to do that until there's some kickback. Until she notices. Until he does something about it. And what God says, well, in due time. And we hate to wait, right? We hate to wait. We, wait, we, we, we sort of think, you know, I'm, we're on the clock here. And God says, no, no, that's not really how it works. And here's the secret to it, is God says, I do some of my best work when you're waiting. Some of my best work is done when you are humbling, humbly submitting, doing what you're to do, and you're waiting for some kind of result. Uh, a really interesting thing happened after Julie and I got married. Uh, we, you know, you would have thought that I learned all my lessons, and uh, we sort of flew out of the gate. And within about two years of marriage, we had, we had already had we had a child kind of early on, and there was a lot of stress in our relationship. And I was trying to build a career, and so I was working very hard, gone a lot. And uh, Julie said, I remember vividly uh, standing in the kitchen, and she said, "This marriage is not working." Now, we had both committed to not getting divorced, so she wasn't making a statement about divorce. She just said, this marriage is not working. And I remember it just hit me because I thought it was working okay. It wasn't great, but it was working okay. And so I said, I'm going to have to work a lot harder on this. And so, uh, again, sort of changed my focus. Julie had too. Julie changed her focus. So how long do you think it took us of changing the focus, of trying to start putting each other's boxes ahead of our box, how long do you think that took? Do you think we got that done in a week? Didn't quite happen in a week. Didn't quite happen in a month. Didn't quite happen in a year. It was three years later. We were driving back from San Diego. We had been at some function down in San Diego. We're driving back, and uh, at this time, I just thought, due time is never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And Julie said, you know, Kevin, I think our marriage is getting better. Three years later, I think our marriage is getting better. God's time is not your time. He says, I want you to humbly submit to your spouse. And I want you to do that just ongoing. And if you're thinking the kickback that I'm somehow obligated to give you some kickback right away to show you you're on course or to encourage you or to relieve your frustrations. God says, I'm not, not obligated to do that. But I'm telling you this, in due time, things will come around. And I just need to, to rush in to say this. He does not even guarantee that your marriage will ever come around, not necessarily. And I've known people that have done this, and their marriage doesn't come around. But God is still good to his word. And in due time, he rescues. In due time, things come back in a good way. There is favor that is bestowed. It does happen. And more likely than not, it will happen in the context of your marriage. 
It's very hard for somebody who is being loved unconditionally over a period of time not to finally start to love back. It does happen sometimes, but it's very difficult. So God says, I don't want you to put a timetable on it. I just want you to put the apron on. I want you to humbly submit. And in due time, due time, it will come back. So here's, here's then the question. If you believe that will happen, if you believe just in trusting in God, in due time it will come back around. The question then is, so what do I do now? Because I have these hopes, dreams, and desires that are not being met. And so Peter ends up giving us some advice about that. Uh, he says these words. Where are we here? I hate it when I lose my place. All right, somebody read the rest of that verse. Read it really loud. Go ahead if you got it. That is perfect. Thanks, Ruth. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. <laughs> so what do you do in the meantime? Jesus says, bring it on. Give it to me. Let me take care of it. You're like, what? Jesus says, give it to me. Give it to me. I'll take it. You'll take like what? Well, I'll take all your frustrations, all your pain, all the stuff that's bugging you. Just throw it on to me. I've done it before. I can handle it. You're like, what? Well, what about like kind of the lame things? Some of the things I'm kind of embarrassed about. No, don't care. If it matters to you, it matters to me. Throw it on to me. Give it over to me. Hold out your hands if you physically need to and act like you're giving it to me. I will, I will carry this for you. I will help you with this. I will strengthen you through it. I will give you a perspective that you've not had. I will give you guidance through this. I will help you every single day to take your next step. Just give it to me because you know what? Here's the bottom line. I care for you. I care that your box is not being met. I care that you've got frustrations and pains in your life. That matters a lot to me. It, it hurts me. I hate to see you in pain. And so I'm telling you, don't keep on throwing it onto your spouse necessarily. Give it to me, and I'll carry it until your spouse is ready to start handling some of this load. But for the time being, just give it to me. And Jesus is, is so is so amazing on this. And you sort of wonder, well, do you think he would really do that? Well, there's this great passage uh, that is in Romans 8.32. You don't need to turn there. We'll, we'll throw it up on the screen. But there's this amazing passage about God's care for you. How much does he care for you? It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not, along with him, graciously give us how many things? All things. Not just some things. Not just the things that he counts as, well, these are worthy things. It says here that he'll give us all things. He will, in any situation, give you exactly what you need to have to make it through that situation. It's just a guarantee that God gave. And you know how much he says it? He says, as proof... Let's just look at what I gave you in Jesus. All right, Just as proof, if you're wondering if I'm good for it, let's just look at what I did with Jesus. Okay, so Jesus is up in heaven with me. We're having a great time creating universes and you know, sort of cruising. Angels are bowing down and worshiping. It's a great time. We have a good gig up here. But you know what? I cared for you so much 
that Jesus became this little itty-bitty baby, went through the humility of being born, which is not big for us because we weren't much before that. But if you're the creator of the universe, is that really how you want to make your entrance into the world? I mean, really, if you think about the humility factor, the Bible goes on to say he was treated as poorly as someone could be treated. He served in a way that nobody had ever served. And at the end of his life, he experienced temptation only because he wanted us to know that he could relate. He experienced pain because he said, I want you to know that I know the pain thing. I know how the pain works. He experienced abandonment and neglect, mainly just saying, I want you to know that I'm not sitting up here in heaven wondering what it's like. I did that because I want you to know how much I care for you. And so Jesus says, come on, give me your stuff. I will carry this for you. I do care for you. And this is a secret we need to learn because our spouse will never perfectly do it. In fact, there's only one spouse you could marry who could perfectly do it. And it's not me. <laughs> No, I mean, if you married Jesus, I suppose Jesus would pull it off pretty well for you, but he's not available. So you've got your spouse, and Jesus says, well, your spouse and me, we will care for your needs. Wherever he doesn't come through, I'll pick up. Wherever she doesn't quite measure up, I'll pick up. Together, we will take care of the stuff that's in your box. Will you trust him? For that. Would you trust him for that? So how do you do it? I'm going to give you a verse that we're going to meditate on now. In fact, we're, we're closing up. So we're going to spend a little time. This is one of my favorite promises in the Bible. And it's just the application of what do you do with the stuff you're currently stressed out about or you're frustrated with or you're in pain over. And I'd like you, this will be most helpful if you actually try to think of something right now, something you're frustrated. And you don't have to be married because it could be in any relationship right now. But is there something that sort of comes to your mind where you think, ah, oh, that's it, I'm so frustrated with that. Or that is so painful to me. Or I feel so alone in this. Whatever comes to your mind, I'd like you to grab onto that right now. And then I want you to see what Jesus says. Here's what I want you to do with it. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is an incredible promise that Jesus gives. He says, if you will take that thing that's in your box that you're struggling with and you will pray about it and hand it over to me and even thank me for taking it, I'll make a trade with you. You give me that, I will give you supernatural peace. You give me that, and I will give you a perspective that will help you see things more clearly. 
You give me that, and I will give you guidance. You give me that, and I will empower you to make it through. But it starts with you handing it over. You hand it over, and then here's what I'll do. And we want to close now this little three-week series on marriage by just giving you a chance to do that. And it's not going to be weird, and you're not going to be outed. Nothing embarrassing is going to happen. But I'm just going to ask you now uh, to go ahead and close your eyes and just bow your head. Because what I'd like you to do, go ahead and just do that right now. And what I'd like you to do is I'd just like you to picture this thing that is going on in your heart. This thing that is not being met the way you were hoping it would be met. And I want you to give it to Jesus. You know, if it helps you, and the lights are down, nobody's looking at you, but if it helps you just put your palms up like you're handing something over, then do it. Just put your palms up and just like, right now, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to hand this over. Because you care for me. You care for me more than I could imagine. You care about the stupidest thing that I'm holding out to you right now. And you care because, not because... It matters in the grand scheme, but it matters to you. And Jesus says, if it matters to you, it matters to me. So hold it out. Hold it out. And I'll tell you what. I'll give you peace. And I'll give you strength. And I'll give you guidance. And I'll give you enough to make it the next step in your life. Because you're not alone. You are not alone.